Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, today's sermon, Love People 2.5, final one in its series, and that was right. Uh, by the way, uh, just as I prayed today, uh, it's the Sunday before the beginning of Advent, next Sunday, and so it's observed as Christ the King Sunday. Um, Alright, this beginning part, don't go ahead of me, okay? Don't go ahead of me, just follow me. Don't pecham my lobang as they say, you know, just follow, huh? Alright, one morning many years ago, not this church, I opened the office email and this is what I read. Can I read what I opened in my email, please? Might be helpful, if not, uh, very hard to continue. Okay, next one, next slide. This is what I read in the office email. I resent your email. And I was wondering, you know, who's fighting now? Not that we had so many fights. But I'm reading and realized, uh, pausing a while, you know what resent means, right? Resent, uh, resent. I said, don't go ahead of me. Uh, uh, resent, resent, resent. Uh, not angry at what you have to accept. Resent. Next slide. Okay. Cambridge Dictionary. Then I realized what was happening because the sender was, uh, he's away, he's gone back home now so I can talk back. Um, Yankee Doodle Americano. And you know that England not so powerful. Because the England in, the occasionally United States of America sometimes a bit substandard. Uh. Don't say it too loud. You know when I was studying in Asbury many years ago, they kept saying to me, your English is so good. Very condescending. So you know I replied, because I don't speak American. <laughs> Wait back now, you know. Um, then I realized what the real problem was. Because the joker can't spell properly. If you add just one little um, punctuation called a hyphen, changes the meaning completely. Next slide. I... Resent. What does resent mean? Send again. Yeah. I think some of you, like the fellow, didn't know how to spell you. That's what you do, the original version, right? Uh, so please learn the proper spelling. Well, this leads us to the real issue today. Why do Christians fight? Why do Christians fight? So I'm going to trust the slide person to just keep following me because now I can't remember <laughs> what the other slides are. Okay, short answer is because we are sinful. I think all of us can acknowledge that. Right, Louis? Okay, yes. I have an amen here. Um, but I suppose there's more to it than that and it may be helpful to move further and look into what may be called an anatomy of conflict, more specifically Christian conflict. Why do Christians fight? Well, there are many reasons, and many of the reasons are no different from uh, reasons, uh, uh, reasons for other human conflicts. So, um, what I'm going to do is, uh, some of you know that I'm a Reader's Digest fan, so I'm going to use Reader's Digest real life stories as analogies uh, to illustrate uh, this topic. 
So the first one, let me tell you the two stories, then I will give you the um, reason. Okay, the first story is about this guy called Clinton, not Bill. Clinton is his first name. He says his wife went to a hospital, then got into the lift, and uh, in it was a hospital staff dressed appropriately, and next to him was a very complex piece of equipment with chrome and handles, bars, valves, gauges, dials, and inverted bottles. So she looked at him and said, wow, I would hate to be hooked up to that machine. And this is the reply. He says, so would I. This is a carpet shampooer in a hospital. Okay. Now, secondly, this one is, uh, this lady goes to a, her dentist and says, you got an appointment for me at one o'clock. They say, no. Uh, I don't have record of your appointment. But she said, you must have because someone called me to say that this is my annual dental exam and it's time for cleaning and made an appointment with me. So we told her, you know, if you have, we will send you a reminder. Definite. So she left in a half angry uh, resentment. Uh, but within an hour, she called back. She calls back to the office rather sheepishly. She, when she went home, she found a man waiting for her, waiting for her to service her home equipment for its annual maintenance. So you know what happened, right? I don't want to explain that. So these first two reasons why people fight are what I call M and M. Now you can show M and M, misunderstanding and miscommunication. I think we can accept that. Okay, the third reason uh, is a bit trickier. But I need to tell you the story also. Recently, Reese Digest has a feature called uh, From the Archives. So this story that they printed this year was actually from 1954. And this is how the story goes. It's written by a, a guy called M. Nolan, army person, uh, in 1954 in Germany. He says, from Army HQ in Heidelberg, Germany, I had to take a business trip to Paris. Since I didn't own a car, a friend offered to lend me his, provided I drive his attractive wife, young wife, to Paris to visit relatives. We were to be gone a week. At the border, German-French border, I was directed to a, sh a hut or a shack where the French official asked, Is it your car, monsieur? And the friend replied, No, a friend lent me the car for a week in Paris. He looked at the passports and then said, your wife? Uh, to which the answer is, no, my friend's wife. So with a roguish twinkle in his eye, he returned the documents and said, what a wonderful friend you have, monsieur. You understand now? Do I need to explain? Huh? You understand? Louis may not understand, but never mind. The rest of us do. And this one... Is called JTC, uh, not Jurong Town Corporation, but uh, sometimes things you want to do kind and good, people interpret as evil and dark. Yeah, the road to disaster is paved with good intentions. So this is the third reason why people fight. Fourth, uh, and this is, I suppose, more applicable to Christians. Sometimes Christians fight because they, each side wants the best for each other. Each side wants the best for each other. Let me explain. 
like in a marriage, which someone has said, a marriage should never be called a union because both sides think they are management. If you get it, you get it. Or you don't, it's never mind. James Dobson from Focus on the Family shares and this classic example of, you know, he come home after a whole week of speaking around the country and after that kind of schedule, all the man wants is some peace and quiet by himself to relax, go into his man cave and uh, be alone. But the wife, who's been the whole week running the home, being parent to the children, both parents to the children, etc., etc., wants someone to share time with her so that she can share with him and unburden herself. Okay, so who is right? Both have legitimate needs. And in such circumstances, maybe the solution is mutually exclusive. And without compromise, there will be definitely conflict. And so, actually the problem is not why Christians fight. It is how we fight. I'll say that again. It's not why we fight, because there will always be conflict. It's how we fight. In particular, how we use the terms right and wrong, good and bad. We use these words too loosely. This is another Reader's Digest story, which is, this is one of my favorite. Uh, this lady called Aline says this, Every Sunday my sister calls long distance to talk to our 79-year-old parents. This is before cell phones. Huh? Once uh, she asked how dad was and mother said, I think there's something wrong with him. He's sitting in the living room without anything on. So the sister asked, nothing on? Nothing on? Yeah, the mother said, he's got the TV off, the radio off, computer off, nothing on. So that's the problem right there. Something wrong. What is wrong? What do we mean by wrong, or especially right? Too often when Christians fight, it's as if we was an, it, it was an actual ethical, moral, or biblical issue of what is right and what is wrong. Especially in God's sight. And worse still, when we fight, we are thinking we are defending God, or at least His honor. But in 35 years of being a pastor, now I, I got to say the sentence that you stole. Because <laughs> I already received 35 years long service. Huh? So I got proof that I'm 35 years. In 35 years as a pastor, using the 80-20 principle, 80% in my mind or more of Christian conflict is not, repeat, not, 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 because of right and wrong. Or any moral, ethical or biblical issue or eternal life and death. It is, in the vast majority of Christian conflict, it's about what I think is right or wrong, good or bad, because that is what I prefer. That is my choice. That is my opinion. That is what I like. That is the way I want it done. Did you get that? Do I need to say it? You understood? Yeah, it's not right or wrong. Huh? It's what I like and that is what I prefer. It seems to me, only very, very seldom that the issues are about real, actual, biblical right or wrong 
issues. For example, like the divinity of Christ. Big fight. But that resulted in the Nicene Creed. Many years ago, which we still recite. The rest of the time, it is not. And why is this important? Because even in matters that are ethical, moral, and biblical, we need to understand at least two things. In determining what is truly right and wrong, biblically, number one, we have no authority... I'm talking very slowly for the slide to come. Ah, okay. We have no authority to be stricter than the Bible or God. Number two, we can also cannot be more lenient than the Bible or God. You understand? So, that actually requires a great deal of precision. Jump slide. Yes. Um, which means we have to be very careful before we determine that it is, number one, a biblical, ethical, moral issue, and two, even more important before, we make a judgment about the biblical position. I always remind people, pastors, especially theological, educated people, don't claim for God what He will not claim for Himself. Don't say for God what He doesn't say for Himself. You do, is very dangerous. I don't understand next to you on the Day of Judgment, in case God's aim a bit off. See, for example, with regard to homosexuality, which is a rather hot topic nowadays, the position of the Methodist Church, and we have to remind you that we do have a position of the Methodist Church in Singapore, is that, and this is found in the Methodist Book of Discipline, and I quote, the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. And I think this has the required precision. This has the required precision. On the other hand, um, Methodist ministers in Singapore undertake a vow to abstain from all alcoholic beverages. All but that means tiramisu and black forest is okay. Alcoholic beverage. Uh, communion wine is okay because communion wine is not an alcoholic beverage if wine is used. There is good reason for this position, but we know that it goes beyond the biblical standard, which is against drunkenness, not alcoholic beverage. Even Paul advised Timothy to take a little wine, emphasis little wine for its medicinal properties. And I want to assure you, I've uphold, upheld the vow. I don't know about all the other ministers, but I've upheld the vow. And um, I still think there's good reason to maintain this prohibition for Methodist ministers. So, more often than not, part of the problem has been, for Christians, this utter lack of of precision. We pick and choose to call what we want to call right and wrong, good and bad, and we fight about, we end up fighting about many things that are outside the biblical standards. What have, in church history, what have Christians fought about as if it was really a matter of life and death, biblically right or wrong? The list is not exhaustive, I give you examples. Whether musical instruments should be used in church. 
especially drum and guitar. Whether women can be leaders or ordained. Whether men and women can even sit together. Whether the choir should wear robes. Uh, what is proper dressing? What does the Bible mean by dressing modestly? That's another sermon, by the way. Uh, whether infants and children should be baptized. How to make the sign of the cross? You know that the Roman Catholic Church does this. Left first and then right. The Eastern Orthodox does right first and left. In the Middle Ages, how you cross yourself could be a matter of life and death. In case you don't know, depending where you were. Um, people have thought about service times. And the very famous one, which version of the Bible is the more biblical translation? And often each side is, was, convinced are right, that they are right. The other side is wrong. So what to do? Well, perhaps we should look at the, one of the most famous fights in the Bible. Okay, it's recorded in Acts 15, verses 36 to 40. And it's between Paul and Barnabas. So let me read for you. Will you now hear the word of God? Luke records. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and set out. The believers commending them to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Who is this Mark? Well, to quote from a Bible commentary. We first meet him in Acts 12.12, 12, when Peter was miraculously delivered from prison. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Barnabas uh, and Paul took him to Antioch, Acts 12.25, and then took him with them as their helper on the first missionary journey, Acts 13.5. But the young Mark flunked out and returned to Jerusalem, 13.13. Because of this, Paul refused to take him along the second missionary journey, Acts 15, we just read. Later, Mark matured and was with Paul in his first Roman imprisonment. Look at Colossians 4.10. Now, the aging apostle, uh, Paul, gave his young associate the highest accolade. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Mark also is the author of the second gospel uh, with his authority source, Peter the Apostle. And that's possibly the earliest gospel that was written. 1 Peter 5.13 Peter refers to Mark as my son. And we know how, as we have been told in the commentary, Paul depended on Mark later in life. So was Paul right or wrong in rejecting Mark? and splitting with Barnabas. So there were two issues there. Rejecting Mark, splitting with Barnabas. Was Barnabas wrong in accepting Mark and then going another way? But it seems to me this is actually the wrong question. It's not a matter of right and wrong. Even 
in this passage in the Bible, not right and wrong in the biblical sense. In such circumstances, Christians may have to agree to disagree when a resolution or compromise is not humanly possible at that time. Sometimes things take time to work out, just like uh, Paul and John Mark. And to use the famous X-Files, I know some of you are too young, but the X-Files saying, truth takes time. That's a triple T, truth takes time. You know, this sermon today, actually I was on, working on two other sermon alternatives before deciding on this one. I was wondering, is that the right thing to do? And Thomas can verify. The President's address at annual conference, what was it about? Agreeing, uh, agreeing to disagree. So I say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Once in a while, God confirms, ah, help me out, give me some peace. In the meantime, like uh, Abraham and Lot in Genesis 13, you know what the story? You go right, I go wrong. Not wrong, right? You go right, I go left. So sometimes not right and wrong, but right and left. Can you remember? I keep this whole sermon, you just remember this. Ah. Sometimes not right and wrong, but right and left. Okay, that's all you need to remember. Um, and so, uh, okay, for us, slavery is right or wrong or left? Slavery, is it wrong? Of course, wrong. Okay, but Abraham Lincoln, who abolished slavery in USA at that time, leading to the Civil War because he was trying to uh, maintain the Union. For him, you think it is so clear-cut, right? Because that's what he did. But this is what he was reputed to say, that slavery was a difficult topic and even good men disagree. For us, it's so clear. For him, it was still a struggle. So, what do we need to do? Uh, so I have three suggestions when Christians fight. Three suggestions. Number one, we need to um, resist simplistic right and wrong positions. We need to resist simplistic right and wrong positions. Two, we need to listen to the other side because sometimes all the sides of the issue need to stand side by side. And thirdly, most importantly, the need for humility. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord. Do not rely on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's something you can remember because it rhymes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Um, you know, it's very tempting for a pastor preaching this kind of sermon to end with a nice story of how Christian conflict is resolved and everyone ended loving each other because they compromise, they resolve, and everything is at peace. I'm going to resist that. I'm going to do exactly the opposite. But, that is to me more true to life. Okay? And this story is not a religious digest, but this again is an analogy. It was uh, in the Chicago Tribune magazine that William Palmer tells a story 
testimony, if you like, of a conflict uh, between him and his difficult neighbor. I know some of us have difficult neighbors. I want to ask you to put up your hand. Maybe you're the difficult neighbor. I don't know. So when the farmers move into their new house, their new home, they, he and the new neighbor got along very well. They would smile and wave, and uh, there was no fence in between their two properties. It appeared they would never need one. But the problem began when the Palmer children began stepping on dog droppings in their, in their side, their garden, though they didn't own a dog. Now, the neighbor had two poodles, and... Palmer, of course, was sure that these dogs were the culprits. But, uh, so one day, he decided to delicately, diplomatically raise it with his neighbor. Um, but the neighbor denied that the poodles were the problem. And before long, the two neighbors descended into a messy spiral, quote-unquote, of antagonism. Droppings were thrown back and forth. Angry words were exchanged. Signs were put up. Eventually, the dogs disappeared because dogs don't live so long, right? But the damage had been done. And Palmer says the conflict reached its either peak or the lowest point, depending how you look at it, when another issue surfaced later. You see, one day he received a note from his neighbor, hostile neighbor, suggesting that the dead tree, the tree is dead already, eh? the dead tree on the property line, the line that divides the two properties, should be cut down. But Palmer says he didn't like the issue of splitting the cost, and so he ignored the letter. A few months later, he and his wife suddenly heard the sound of a chainsaw outside, and when they looked out, they watched this dead tree being sawn vertically downward. So that half on the neighbor's side is sawn down, leaving half on the palmer side still up. Can you picture this? Uh, this is an analogy of what Christian conflict can come to. The, the level of insanity and absurdity. And Palmer concludes, he left it standing for a few years as a conversation piece before he himself, he cut it down finally. You see, like I say, it's tempting to end well, huh? but most, if we are honest, many times Christian conflict ends exactly like this. There is no resolution, no compromise, no solution, and you are left with half a dead tree standing in the way. But, we should not be like this. Um, we should not be in a position where both sides are so adamant that they are right and the other is wrong. They are good and the others are bad. If we truly love God, if we truly love people, because this is who we are, this is what we do. Many years ago, uh, okay, I tell you. You know 9-11, you remember 9-11? The building collapse. That night, when it happened, I was at a badminton game. I don't play badminton now, but uh, too old. But I was at a badminton game when the news first came. 
We closed the game. We all went home. And I watched on TV. The second plane go in. Then later, both buildings come down. I saw it live. Uh, some of us. Anyone saw it live? Can you remember? Yeah, some of you remember, right? Now, later and many years ago, I was watching a documentary called 102 Minutes That Changed America, which is about 9-11, about the attacks. And as I watched, I thought to myself, you know, in a world of such violent stupidity and insanity, and now you can plus ISIS, plus all these other conflicts. In the midst of all this, we Christians fight about which Bible version to use as if it were life or death. Think about it. Let us pray. Dear God, our Father, we ask your forgiveness when we do not know how to fight biblically, when we too loosely use words like right or wrong as if we knew so well what you think. Forgive us when we speak for you what you do not want to say for yourself. When we have taken false positions for our own benefit and advantage. Help us to look at your word and to fight when there is conflict in a biblical way so that the damage will not be done and you will be still honored. In Christ's name we pray.